good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. If you are uh, visiting with us or if you uh, haven't been following along with us this summer, uh, then we are in a sermon series called Selah as we are making our way through uh, various different psalms uh, throughout the summer. I will remind you that you can continue to... uh, To read along with us as we have our reading plan, you can either sign up for daily text messages or we have uh, the guides for you and you can jump right in and and just join right in as we seek to read uh, the Psalms together as we work all the way through those together as a church family. Uh, I wonder if you, like me this week, had the opportunity to, um, to view or see pieces of the memorial service uh, for the five fallen officers. Um. I, I, found, I found it to be very appropriate. Um, one, of the, one of the statements from our president and during that particular memorial service uh, went something to the effect of, <clears throat> I've had to do this too many times. And I agree. Uh, he has. As has the president before him who had to, st- to go to memorial services for those fallen military officers in Iraq. The, the, the continued mourning that we've experienced, and then followed by um, Thursday, while I was at the Maple Grove Days Parade with my family, to my wife sharing with me that there had been an attack in Nice, France, and that that people people had died, that a, a man had run a truck into a group of people who were gathering together to watch fireworks, not like, not dissimilar to many people who, were, who stopped to watch fireworks last night here in Maple Grove. And we, we find ourselves in this language of saying, well, I wish this was the last time that we would be, have to do this. And yet there always seems to be another. There seems to be another time. And, and then another time. And we find ourselves thinking more along the lines of there, what will we do next time? How can we keep it from happening next time? But there will be a next time. So the question for me this morning, and I think the question that we will be helped by uh, Psalm 55, is how do we handle the brokenness of our world? How do we handle these realities in which we live, not only the, the, the brokenness of our culture in which we live, but the brokenness of our own worlds individually. How do we deal with those things? How do we handle these things? I think it begins by, I think it begins by expecting tears. Let's turn our attention to Psalm 55. Let me read the Psalm in its entirety, and then we'll look at bits and pieces of it as we work our way through. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threat of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would, 
Hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Let death take my enemy by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me, from, he rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them. Because they, are, because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. He talks smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His, wounds are more, his words are more soothing than oil, and yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay, the bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their, half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. I think the first thing that David helps us understand, this is David who is writing in a very transparent and raw fashion. The first thing is that if we are going to make sense of the brokenness of our world, we need to expect tears. We need to expect tears. He, say, he cries out. He says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. My thoughts, are, my thoughts trouble me, and I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in my anger, or in, in their anger. He's, there's, there's, uh, we can sometimes, we can sometimes be led to think that if God is blessing us, then we will be uh, without pain and suffering. That the blessed Christian life, the true Christian life, is a, is a Christian life that is without pain, that is without difficulty, that is without suffering. We think that the life that God is blessing is a life that everything is going well for them. And we have a tendency to use that language, don't we? When things are going well for us, people say, how, well, how is things? Oh, I'm blessed. But when things are going hard, we don't go, oh, I'm blessed, do we? We use different language. We switch it up. Is God not blessing? And we have a tendency. Then when we think that God's blessing comes on the Christian life that is uh, absent of pain or absent of difficulty, absence of tears and sorrow... If, if that's what our, our understanding of, then when pain hits, when sorrow comes, when difficulty comes into our world and indeed touches our personal lives, then we find ourselves struggling 
we find ourselves taken back. And we don't know how to handle the we don't know how to handle it. We're not sure what to do with life. We think that somehow God has abandoned us, that somehow God does not love us, or maybe even that God is not good. But this thinking, this thinking is out of step with our Bibles. And thinking it may be more in line with TV preachers and maybe more in line with their thinking, but out of line with the psalmist and out of line with Jesus. That's not, a, it's not an understanding of what we have in our Bibles. No, Jesus was a man who walked with God. And yet he was a man who we are told was a man of sorrows and was acquainted with grief. He was a man who was always weeping. Yet he was walking with God. No, it is the Christian life. It is the life that is walking closely with Jesus that actually finds ourselves, in many of our cases, we find ourselves weeping more than we ever did before. And if we open up our Bibles, we understand why that is the case. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put in you a new spirit. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Because for many of us, before we ever knew Jesus, before we ever came to faith, and this may be some of you today, you say, why should I care about the concerns of the world? Why should I care about France? Why should I care about all these different things? I mean, all I need to do is just worry about my stuff. I got to get my stuff done. And if I can get my stuff done, if, if I can just... then, But that is to have a heart of stone, according to the scriptures. It is when we come to faith in Jesus that our callousness towards the needs and the brokenness of other people, our eyes begin to be opened because we have had the heart of stone removed and we now have a heart of flesh, which is a heart of softness, which is a heart of tenderness. And we find ourselves open to our own sin that we once had no clue about. We once thought, yeah, we made a mistake or two. Yeah, okay, but whatever, get over it. I'm not perfect, but fine. Not anymore. Now we find ourselves to be one who are, who are people who commit sins that offend an, a holy God. And we're grieved by our sins because we have, a sin. we have a heart that is soft. And our eyes have been opened to our own brokenness. And then our eyes get opened to the brokenness of others. And we start to see the brokenness of the world that is around us. And our hearts begin to break and we are grieved. And we find ourselves weeping. And you say, why do I care like this? I never cared like this before. Well, the Bible tells us why. Because you once had a cold stone heart. And now you don't. You have a soft heart of flesh that God gave to you. And so it is for us as the Christians to be those who find the brokenness of our world and we mourn over homelessness and we mourn over poverty and we mourn over sex trafficking and we mourn over injustice and we mourn over immorality and we mourn out of over lying and we mourn from our own sins that we see in our own hearts, our own judgments that we make of other people. We see it and we mourn over these things because God has given us a soft heart to see our own sin. And so if we are Christians, the Christian life is not a life that is immune to tears, but is actually a life that is full of tears. It is, and if we don't understand the Christian life this way, then we set ourselves up for more suffering. If we don't come into the Christian life expecting tears, if we don't go out into the world expecting these things, then what happens is this. 
we, when suffering and pain and difficulty comes, then we have the very thing that causes the pain and suffering in our life. The disappointment, the loss of job, the, the broken relationships. Whatever the source of the pain is, you have that to mourn over. And in addition to that, you say, and I never thought it would happen to me. I, I, I can't believe it happened to me. And you mourn the fact that it actually happened to you. Not just the, not just the cancer, but the fact that you can't believe the cancer came to you. Because why? Because we didn't have a proper expectation. But it is for the Christian. We come knowing that if we are going to have a proper understanding and perspective towards life, then it is we enter in. Because why? We saw Jesus entering in, who man who was acquainted with grief. We enter in. So when tears come, then the question then is, if we are to expect tears, then what are we to do with them? When they come, when they do come, how do we engage our tears? How do we engage the pain and difficulty and suffering of our world and, and, and of our, indeed of our lives? Well, I think David is helpful here. David is very raw in this Psalm, Psalm 55. First, our first way in which we can engage tears, David says, and he shows us in verse six, and that is to avoid tears. To avoid the tears. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Oh, he says, I look at all this and I'm overwhelmed. I, 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 fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed. And he says, the, what I want to do is I want to run away. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, that I would fly away and there I would find rest. If I could just flee and be far away, I would stay in a desert. I would go to a shelter. I would, so I wouldn't have to face the storm of the tempest, right? And in David's particular case, he's the king. And he's essentially saying, I don't want to, I can't take the pressure and anxiety of being king anymore. What, what I really want is I just want to run away. I just want to get out of here. I just need the Calgon man and he needs to take me away. That's for those of you who are old, you can catch that. That's what I need. I just need to get out of here. I, I want, what I want is someone else to come and to take away the stress and the pressure of, leader, of leading this, 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 this country. And of course, there is a proper time, isn't there? There's a proper time to get away on vacation, to unwind and to relax. But that's not what David is saying here. He's not saying, I just need a vacation. What he's saying is, I want to escape. I'm done with the pain. I'm done with the difficulty. I'm done with the challenges. I'm just done. I just want to get out of here. And, and I know that feeling. And I'm wondering if you do too. Where we just say, I just want to, because we do it. We do it a whole bunch of different ways. And maybe you don't run away, but maybe you do. There are many ways that we try to ignore the pain in our lives. We ignore the tears. We don't allow, we don't, in, we don't engage them. Or the way that we try to engage them is just to try to pretend as if they don't exist. And so we take the pathway of least resistance. Or we lie. Or we undermine others in order to save face and to save ourselves. Or we try to numb the pain. And we turn and we invest ourselves more deeply in work or we go shopping or we turn to alcohol or we turn to a new spouse or to sex or to video games or something. 
to distract us from the pain of the realities of our lives. And so we just numb it all out. We, we avoid the tears just to dull the pain. And I believe that to be natural. I believe that to be normal. It's normal to want to stop the pain or to numb the pain that we feel. It's normal. The problem is that the shelters that we run to that may give us temporary, temporary shelter from the pain never last. They never sustain us. Because the shopping trip that you go on, eventually you're going to have to go on another. And eventually your credit cards can't handle another. And then you find yourselves under the burden. And there you find yourselves alone with all of your shoes, with, with, but, but it's still in pain. Or we run to all of these different things and none of them last. None of, us are, none of them are able to sustain us. It's normal. It's natural. But it's temporary. And when those shelters collapse, then they leave us alone and we're still weeping. We're still weeping. So one option David explores here is to just say, I, I, I could just run away. That's one way to engage our tears. A second option would be to vent our tears. To vent our tears here in verse 9. Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If, any, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Let death take my enemy by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. He's just venting, isn't he? The second way that David is, that we can handle tears, one would be to, 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 to avoid them, to, to numb them. The other is that we could just vent them. We could just dump them. We just, we just dump it on other people, right? That's what it seems. David, David sees evil. He sees evil. He says, I see evil in the city that I'm supposed to lead, that I'm supposed to protect. I feel the evil around me. And David's venting about the evil that he sees in the city. And, and if I'm honest with you, I feel like I'm just reading some of your Facebook posts. We don't, you want to talk about the relevance of the Bible. You don't have to make the Bible relevant. This sounds exactly like some of, some of ours. And we're saying, oh, but I see evil. And it's on the walls and, it's just, and I'm distraught and I see this. And, and I, oh my goodness, I see strife and they're just prowling around on its walls and there's malice and there's abuse and there's destructive forces that are at work. And we think, we're, we think we've got something new. We think somehow this is the worst of all, all things that have ever happened. But I'm pretty sure that this has been around for quite some time. Because the brokenness of our world has been the brokenness of our world since the world was broken. Since sin entered, since death entered. But since evil has been a part of where we are. 
And so where our days, while, while they are, what, what has happened in David's day, I would suggest to you is what happened in our day, that there, there's evil forces at work and they've used the technologies of that particular day in order to, pr- to promote evil. And it was happening in David's world and he saw it all around him and he felt overwhelmed by the evil. And so do you and so do I. When we look at people taking trucks and driving it into groups of people and we say to ourselves, how can we stop such a thing? How, what are we to do? And we... Well, I, I, I find great comfort in knowing that, that, that David felt the same way that I feel. And maybe that you do as well. That this isn't new to God. This isn't some newfangled evil. That evil is evil is evil is evil. It's been evil. Still evil. Still there. And David is out what he sees He's tempting to just dump his pain and tempted to dump his tears. And, and we do the same thing. We vent on our family. We vent on our friends. We vent on our Facebook walls. And sometimes our venting is not helpful and is not very constructive. But David wasn't just venting about the evil that was actually going on in the world around him. He also vented in the, about the very pain of his own life. Very personal betrayal, isn't it? His pain was very personal. He was betrayed, by, and it hurt. He was betrayed by a companion, by a close friend, he says in verse 13. Not only a close friend, but one who was actually a Christian, who had actually enjoyed the sweet fellowship in the house of God. And as he walked about among the worshipers, they walked through the temple together. They worshiped God together, and it was a close friend, a close companion. He goes on to say in verse 20, my companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, and yet war is in his heart. His word Words are, are more soothing than oil, and yet they are drawn swords. He says, I once shared intimate details of my life with my friend, with my companion, with my Christian brother, and yet he turned on me. And yet he let me down. And yet he hurt me. I think this is why all, all throughout the scriptures, including and especially in the New Testament, we find the guidance of the, the, the scriptures to say we must protect the unity of the church. We must protect the unity of one another. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This ought to be the way in which we interact with one another. That people, because why? Because they will know that you are Christians by your love. Above all these things, put on love, which protects the unity of the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the church. Friends, and he says, because we have a unique opportunity to hurt one another, to hurt one another deeply. Because we are those who have worshipped together. Because we are those who have experienced the movement of God together. And then when we turn and rip one another apart, then people go, oh, well, you're just like everybody else I know. No. They will know that you're Christians by your love. And there is a unity. So when you bear with one another, and therefore you forgive one another, and therefore you move towards one another, even in the midst of difficulty and pain. And that was just an aside, by the way. But the unique opportunity that we have 
David is dealing with the brokenness and the weeping and the tears. And because he sees evil in this city and because he's seen it in his own personal relationships and our default setting is to avoid our tears. We can either do it by numbing them out or we could do it by venting them. We, and when we dump our pain on person after person, when we dump it on our spouse, when we dump it on our friends, when we dump it on our coworkers, when we dump it on our neighbors, because we're not dealing with it, we don't have a place to deal with it. We, and then guess what happens? We're just angry. We're angry, and then people shut us down, and then we're angry, and then we're alone. We're angry, and then we're alone. Because venting creates a habit of hostility in our relationships. And we don't actually, and even though we actually, pur- we feel like we're purging the pain, we're actually reinforcing the pain. We double down on it. And we find ourselves angry, wounded, and alone. David goes on to say, but a better way, a better way, the third way to engage, rather than to avoid it or to vent it would actually be to invest it, to invest our tears. Verse 16. But as for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. But as for me, I call to God. I will not run away from the tears. I will not simply vent my tears, but I will invest my tears with my God. That's what I'll do. I will take my tears and my pain and I will invest them. In verse 22, he says it differently. He says, cast your cares on the Lord. Cast your cares on the Lord. This casting is an investing. It's a sowing. In sowing our, it's, it's, that's what he's saying. It's, it's taking these things, my tears, and I'm giving them, I'm investing them, I'm planting them with God. Why? Why would we invest these things? Because he says here, verse 16, as for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. And the Lord saves me. 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Because when you invest your tears, then you become unshakable. For the Christian, you have a place. We have a place. We have a resource to be able to handle the difficulty and pain of the world. One, it's because we expect it. And two, we have a place to go with it, which is to our God who hears us, who understands us, and makes us unshakable. That's what he says here, isn't it? When he invests these to the Lord, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you and he will never let the righteous be shaken. You become unshakable. When we invest our tears with our heavenly father, then you will not be alone, but rather you have a heavenly father with which to be able to, who will listen to you, who will sustain you and will hold you fast and therefore you will be unshakable regardless of the pain and difficulty and tears of our lives. That's what he's saying. Well, how are we to invest our tears? How are we to do this? Verse 17, he says, well, essentially we are to pray our tears. Investing our tears is to pray our tears. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. 
He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. So what does he do? He says, David says, morning, evening, and noon, I cry out in distress. Three times a day, I am going into the place of the Lord and I'm calling out in distress before him. All of, I'm investing my tears. I'm casting my cares upon the Lord. I'm casting my burdens upon him. And he hears my voice. It is with a deep conviction knowing that when we pray to God, we're not just, we're not just engaged in some fruitless exercise. We're not just talking out into the, to the ceiling, but we're actually praying to a living, active God who longs to hear the voice of his children. And it is you and I who come to him and we invest and we cast our cares and concerns upon him. We come and we do this, not because he doesn't know, he does know, but we do this so that we know he knows. That we go and dump our stuff in the right place. We have a resource as Christians to which we're able to go to him. And David has this connection with God because it's in, the, in God's presence that he goes and deals with his stuff. He deals with his tears, knowing that God hears him. And the result, the result is not that God always takes away the pain. That's not the result. It may be the result that God takes away the pain. The result is that he gives you strength to handle them you become unshakable. The result is not that all of your pain and tears go away. The result is that God sustains you in them. It may be, if you are in pain this morning and you've come here, it may be that as you cast, continually cast your cares upon the Lord, as you continually cast your cares upon him, that he decides that he wants to take you out of the storm. It may be because he can because he's able. But it may be that you have to be like Peter, who didn't take him out of the storm. He said, keep your eyes on me and I will walk you through the storm. That I will hold you fast. That I will sustain you. That if you keep your eyes on Jesus, then you can walk on water, as it were, through the storm. Peter had to keep his eyes on Jesus so that he could look so, and if, G, if Peter had to keep his eyes on Jesus in order to walk through the storm, so, so should we keep our eyes on our Savior. Because Jesus went and he was betrayed and he was one who knew betrayal and he was one who knew, what it, knew rejection, he knew partiality and he went through those things patiently in order to save us and he says, keep your eyes on me and wait patiently because I will hold you and I will sustain you. I will hold you fast. I will be all that you require in all of the storms. I will make you unshakable. You will stand firm and strong. This is what, if we keep our eyes on him. It's been a bunch of years ago now. It seems like forever ago. It wasn't that long. I mean, eight or so. When my oldest son was young, three-ish, four maybe. And I remember distinctly when he woke, he woke up in the middle of the night just yelling because, uh, because of whatever he was dreaming about. 
And I remember going, it woke me up and my wife and I remember going into his room and he was crying and, he, and, then, and then I just held him there. And, and that's what God does for us. When we cry out in our distress, when we cry out in our pain, when we cry out, he goes, I've got you. I've sustained you. I will hold you fast so that you can rest, so that you can stand in the midst of the storm. That's what God does for his children. Our heavenly father does for us. When we are reminded because of the headlines of our newspapers and because what we see flying around on our iPhones and on on the internet, at breakneck pace, we see the evil swirling around us. We are reminded that the battle is not a battle of flesh and blood. But there is a battle, and it is a real battle, and it's a battle that is about with, with be, real evil forces and real things and the principalities of the evil one that are around. But friends, let me remind you that, it, that the, the, the consequences or the end is not in doubt. That when Jesus Christ died and when he rose again, he ended the, any, the power of Satan. Of Satan and death and hell have been overcome. And so we know the end. The best that the evil can do, the evil one can do is oppress. The best that he can do is make it difficult. But he cannot win and he cannot overcome because Christ has already overcome. And that one says to you that I am with you, that I will sustain you that I will hold you fast because I have already overcome. So stand strong and do not be shaken, church. Can I tell you that my greatest heart for you is that you would stand strong and not be shaken? That when you read these things, that you would weep and that you would mourn and your heart would be broken because you have a heart of flesh that God gave to you and then you would stand strong in the promises of God because he will sustain you and he will hold you fast and he will me too. And this is how we go through our days until one day Jesus comes and makes it all right and he will, he will return and restore all things. But church, we have no need to fear. We have no need to fear because perfect love, the love of Jesus Christ casts out fear. Let us go take our tears to him and let him remind us of who he is and says this that feels like a bad dream, I will make all undone one day. May we be reminded, go to that place because that is the only place where healing and help can come from, where we can be unshakable in the face of the difficulties of our day. Father, we need you. I need you. And I come to you as one who is prone to despair, as one who is uh, saddened by the difficulties of this world, and yet one who is firm in our resolve that you are sovereign over all things and that you hold all of your children in the palm of your hand. And even though we can't see always how your hand is at work, we trust you because of what your word tells us about who you are. May you help us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficulty and of our tears to come and process with you, to cast our cares upon you and find there the place of unshakable strength. We come in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.